Lord's Day, BBC family. We will uh, be in Colossians chapter 2 this evening. So if you could turn your Bibles to Colossians 2. And we're only going to be looking at one verse, verse 15. Colossians is towards the end of your Bibles. But I think uh, for context, we'll read from verses 13 to 15. Colossians chapter 2. We'll read verses 13 to 15. And when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with his obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Father, your authority is absolute and your power is unmatched. Through Jesus, we've become more than conquerors. Help us now to see clearly the confidence we have against Satan and rulers and authorities because of what Jesus has done. Let us be strengthened by your infinite strength in this spiritual battle. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a couple nights ago, <clears throat> our family was out on the front lawn um, after dinner for some uh, regular outdoor time. Our two boys brought out their, their wooden swords and they started doing a mock sword fight, hitting their swords this way and that, trying their best to imitate what they learned from the Jedi Knights. After a near miss, one of them would run off to another part of the grass and then they'd be at it again. It's a pretty predictable routine that they've almost choreographed together. And then in one decisive move, Ian lunges in and Zachary leaps back and drops his sword. He takes one look at the sword on the ground and then one look back at Ian and then he's off running. You might be able to identify with how Zachary feels with, without his trusty wooden sword. In a word, powerless. He's been disarmed and now any hope of effectively defending himself has evaporated. So this is a facetious story of a reality that's much greater and significant and on an infinitely grander scale. Jesus' defeat of our greatest enemy, Satan, and all of his forces. So tonight we're just focusing on one verse in Colossians chapter 2, looking at verse 15. But first to paint a bit of a broader picture, one of the prominent themes in Paul's letter to the Colossians is that of Jesus' preeminence or his absolute dominion over all things seen and unseen. So the Apostle Paul starts out this letter to the Colossians by saying of Jesus, this is starting in verse 15 of chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. So 
we need to connect this truth, the fact that Jesus is first and foremost, to another clear reality that Satan and evil do still have a good deal of influence in today's world. Just take a look at the top headlines that pop up on your news app if you ever need any convincing that sin and evil are rampant. We see, in fact, that the present world is under the dominion of Satan. The whole world is under the sway of the evil one, it says in 1 John 5.19. And by the way, the Bible uses the, the term rulers and authorities at various points throughout the New Testament to refer to demonic and spiritual powers that are under Satan's authority. So the influence of Satan and his demonic power is still felt pervasively today. I think we can all attest to that. So when we say that Jesus is preeminent, it's not painting the picture of a world that's devoid of sin, where we're untouched by sin and death, but one in which sin and evil still exist, yet they're dealt with in an ultimate sense. Satan's place in human history has already been decided, even as we continue to experience the brokenness of this world. So with that understanding, the main idea from our text is that Jesus renders Satan powerless. Jesus renders Satan powerless. And we see this in three ways. First, he disarms. Second, he disgraces. And third, he defeats. He disarms, he disgraces, and he defeats. So we'll start with um, one. He disarms Satan. Since the creation of the world, Satan has been on a mission to capture and enslave people with lies and deceptions. We see this in the familiar third chapter of the Bible. After God had created the world and created man and woman, he declared everything to be good. And then Satan rears his ugly serpent head. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. On that infamous day in human history, the serpent deceived our first parents into doubting God's goodness then acting in a disobedience to God. All the consequences of sin came tumbling down afterwards, the most devastating of which was an irreparable separation from God the Father. That's the picture we get of sin's effects brought about by the working of Satan to destroy mankind. Follow the redemptive storyline of the Bible and time and time again, God makes promises for the deliverance, for deliverance to come through his anointed one, the Messiah. So let's compare the picture in Genesis 3 now to the picture found in the third to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 20. In verse 2 it says, the angel seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. The serpent is bound and rendered powerless so that he would no longer deceive the nations. We also saw this in a similar way, in um, Matthew 12 last week, Jesus explaining how it's how logically implausible that he would be driving out demons by the power of Beelzebul or Satan. And then, and then Jesus goes on to describe what it, what it would require for Satan to be rendered powerless. He would first need to tie up the strong man in Matthew 12, 29. And this is exactly what Jesus does when he comes in fulfillment of the messianic prophecy. He comes in power and authority and he plunders Satan's house. He de-weaponizes Satan. But how? 
let's look back at Colossians chapter 2, just one verse, to verse uh, 14. We read it earlier. It says, He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He nailed our debt to the cross. So our sin, our indebtedness, Satan takes that as a weapon in his hand. The evil one takes it and says, this debt requires the payment of eternal punishment in hell. But Jesus takes that certificate of debt and nails it to the cross. John Piper is helpful in his explanation here. He says, quote, If Satan has nothing in his court folder as he stands before the bar to accuse us, what's he going to do? He becomes powerless in, his, in, this, in this courtroom because our record of debt has been canceled. His one damning weapon against God's elect is taken out of his hand. There is no unforgiven sin anymore. We are forgiven. So what's he going to condemn? Nothing. End quote. So Jesus renders Satan powerless. The second way we see this is that he disgraces Satan publicly. He disgraces Satan publicly. So what does it mean that the rulers and authorities are disgraced publicly? You can reason that to be stripped of authority is a disgrace. Satan's enterprise of deceiving and blinding people to the truth is found to be completely bankrupt. All his lies and deceptions are exposed. All his weaknesses are laid bare, including the fact that he was subservient to God the Father all along, and they had, that he had been merely used as a tool, and only to the extent that God had allowed. This public shaming recalls what the victors of battle used to do when they defeated their enemies. The defeated enemy and the spoils of war would be paraded publicly to amplify their shame and their disgrace. Normally, we might think of public shaming as something that's unjust or uncharitable, but there's only righteousness in Jesus exposing Satan. Until the cross, Satan may have foolishly thought that he could get away with his rebellion against God, but the cross marks the definitive end to any such delusions as he's put to shame. Conversely, Satan attempted to disgrace Jesus leading up to the crucifixion through his public mocking, scourging, and trial. But with Jesus, there was no justification for his shame. His future joy outweighed any disgrace or embarrassment that evil men tried so hard to heap upon him. Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus looked shame in the face and put shame to shame. He, he knew that there was no place for it as he was accomplishing the Father's will to take him to the cross. Jesus renders Satan powerless. The third way we see this here is he defeats Satan on the cross. He defeats Satan on the cross. Jesus triumphed over the rulers and authorities or he triumphed over them through it. Different translations will either render this as Jesus defeating Satan or Jesus defeating Satan through the cross. Both are true. Jesus ultimately defeats Satan on the cross. This is the pivotal moment where Satan's involvement in human life takes a complete turn. He no longer has dominion and sin 
or he no longer has dominion and sin no longer rules because of the cross. Almost as a direct reversal of the power that was given to Satan and his demons when Adam and Eve sinned against God, the cross licks the serpent in the eye and says, yes, God really did say not to eat of the tree in the middle of the garden for our ultimate good. With the limited power that was granted Satan in this world, all his scheming failed to upset God's plan of salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus tells his disciples how he must suffer and be killed, the apostle Peter, in his worldly reasoning, begins to rebuke Jesus. Mark, Mark 8.33 says, But turning around and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Satan has always been about circumventing the cross because he knew that it meant his defeat. God's plan could not be thwarted, and it was sealed on the cross. And this is the essential message of the Bible. If you're not a Christian and hearing this today, then this is the message that God is calling you to hear and to respond to today. We've seen in this verse that Jesus has decisively defeated Satan and the power of sin. But how do we, how do we end up with the problem of sin to begin with? God the Father, as maker of all things, created us in his image to bear his image as his sons and daughters. He created Adam and Eve to dwell with him. But instead of heeding God's good commands, they rebelled by eating of the forbidden tree. God the Father, as the righteous judge, cannot simply overlook sin. The consequence of sin is death. He would be right to send each and every one of us into eternal punishment for our sin. But God had a plan of salvation. He sent Jesus, his son, to bear the consequences of sin on the cross. Here we can pick up our, the reading in our passage, again, starting in Colossians 2.13. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. In the words of a beloved hymn, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Jesus' blood avails for you, for me, and for every sinner that would come to him for cleansing. The victory that Christ has won on the cross comes with an invitation to put aside your striving, whether that's to run away from righteous accountability or to prove yourself as a self-made righteous person, and instead to lean into Jesus' finished work for you. Are you in the grip of sin that seems to have dominion over you? Jesus invites you to put your trust in him. He's taken your debt and nailed it to the cross where his blood was spilled for you. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you have any questions about what it means to put your trust in Jesus today, then please talk to any of our church members after our gathering.
Jesus renders Satan powerless. He disarms, he disgraces, and finally defeats Satan on the cross. Like a child stripped of his wooden sword, Satan is left weaponless and helpless, only to face the righteous judgment that is due him. But before Jesus' triumph over sin and death, he himself was dispossessed at the hands of evil men seeking to entrap him. Before Jesus could put the rulers to shame, he himself had to endure disgrace through beatings, insults, and wearing a crown of thorns. Before his decisive victory on the cross, he had to undergo his own defeat, or at least as it was perceived in the eyes of evil men, through his crucifixion. What could have been his defeat was in fact God's ordained means of securing victory over sin and death. Through the cross, Jesus has robbed Satan and demonic powers of their final say in the matter. Let this sit with you. Let this be your strength in weakness and your claim to victory in your failure. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And we know from Colossians 2.15 that those rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of darkness and evil have already been defeated. Let's pray. Father, what power and freedom it is to recognize your triumph over Satan and the consequences of sin. We confess that we often live like we've been disarmed, disgraced, and defeated ourselves. It shows up in our faithlessness, our fear of man, our unbelief in your goodness. Forgive us, Lord, for annulling your work on the cross when we think and live this way. Strengthen us, we ask, with your vast strength so that we can actively engage in the battle against Satan and rulers and authorities, seeing that our victory has already been secured in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's take a minute now or 